My good and longtime friend Jan lives in New York City, and we were able to visit with her last Thanksgiving weekend. In her ninth floor apartment on 123rd Street, there in her sunny window lives Frankie the cactus. Frankie is not like other plants. Back when Frankie was just a young cactus, and yes, she names all of her plants, Frankie actually withered and died. No longer growing or drinking water, weary from the struggle to maintain his prickly appearance, Frankie was gone. In her grief, Jan merely laid the deceased cactus on top of the dry and cracked soil, unable to throw it away. Yet much to Jan's surprise, ever so slowly, Frankie extended his tendrils, taking root once more. Gloriously, the cactus began to rejuvenate. Now, at the ripe old age of 25 years, Frankie majestically stands about three feet tall and at full attention in that window, commanding your attention. But wait, there's more. Not only did he resurrect himself, His ongoing fertility is something to behold. There in the pot with him is more than 10 sprouts of fellow cacti growing alongside Frankie. They curve and they dip beneath the windowsill and they overlay one another in this wonderfully prickly puzzle. It's really quite magnificent. The prophet Isaiah says in our text this morning that a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Have you ever seen a stump? They are large nuisances, difficult to extract and soar to the eyes. They are dead, lifeless. And Isaiah proclaims that out of this decay will spring forth a new ruler, a new David, a grandson of Jesse, who will not only grow strong, but will bear fruit as God rests on this ruler. This new ruler who is to come will rule with wisdom like Solomon. They will pay attention to poor people and overthrow the wicked ones. They will be dressed with righteousness and faithfulness. So impactful will their rule be that all will fall into obedience and there will be no more violence. This is true for the entire earth, not just for humanity, but for land and animals too. So much so that predator and prey will lie down together. The lion will not eat the cattle and even a nursing baby will play with vipers. What a radical oracle. We love this image, don't we? It springs forth with such hope. Think of those cute memes on Facebook and social media platforms where the cat is riding on the dog's back. Or how about those beautiful paintings where the lamb really is tucked into the crook of the lion's paw? I wonder, though. I wonder about the truth of those pictures, as heavenly as they sound. I wonder about its legitimacy because fast forward 700 years, and there is a new prophet, John the Baptist, proclaiming that the Holy One is here, who is a third prophet, Jesus, who will clear out the threshing floor, burning the chaff, and baptizing the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist knows this text on the Isaiah scroll, and so does Jesus. He was a rabbi. So shouldn't we be at greater point of peace by now? When are these prophecies going to come true? How much longer do we have to wait? Because let's face it, vipers are scary. I don't even like my kids too close to the glass at the zoo. Lions do eat lambs, and antelope and cattle too. 
So where is this image of peace that the prophets declared? And I'm willing to bet I'm not the only one in the room this morning wondering these things and grieved by the fact that our world is still so war-torn, that our own hearts are still so restless. There's a gif circulating right now that says, stare at this geometric shape as it folds forward and back up, and breathe in sync with it as it folds, and it will calm your anxiety. I think I stared at this thing for a good three minutes last night. It works. So if you see it coming across your feed, do it. Even gifts are trying to help us calm down this holiday season. (laughs) So again, wonder with me then, on this second Sunday of Advent, when we light the candle of peace, where do you need peace? There's a wonderful article in the New York Times this week that's entitled, Want to Get in the Christmas Spirit? Face the Darkness. In it, the author, who is an Anglican priest, unpacks how life in the church during Advent offers a stark contrast to the hubbub of loud holiday jingles on our TVs and parades and fanfare in the streets and lights and glittered garland everywhere. We all participate in this. And yet in the church, we slow down. Our worship patterns look different. The greenery is hung. There is purple, which is both the color of royalty and repentance. The hymns frequently turn to a minor key and we keep silence as together we embark on this journey of waiting. Waiting for the light of the world to be born in the darkness. Waiting with hope. Waiting on peace. The priest of the article, she writes this, and I love it. To practice Advent is to lean in to an almost cosmic ache, our deep Wordless desire for things to be made right and the incomplete we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict and violence and suffering and darkness. And Advent holds space for our grief. It reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but we are also wielders of it. I invite you to look at the banner above me. And I'm going to read that last sentence again that she writes. Advent holds space for our grief. And it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but we are also wielders of it. So if you are one who suffers from the holiday blues, or you struggle with all the parties and the shopping, or you really just don't enjoy decorating cookies... Know that we live in an in-between time where we have this knowledge of the kingdom of God and these oracles of peace, of heaven on earth, of what can be, but it is not yet fully actualized. And so as we experience it, the predator and the prey are not yet friends. And so our space in the darkness this morning is warranted. The church's bow to darkness this Advent season is warranted. Our need to be Our freedom to be, as our theme says right now, our freedom to pay attention, to be mindful while we wait, it is warranted. So where does this leave us then? This struggle of light and dark and sacred and evil. In my class this semester, we are studying how Jesus heals us of sin by crossing boundaries and breaking down binaries. 
If something is not all light or all dark or all holy and all evil, then somewhere in between, in that gray messiness of life, in the honesty of who we really are, is where the incarnation happens. It's where the savior of the world is born, the light come into darkness. And so while we wait in that gray in between, in addition to the stillness, the church offers us another way to respond, to hold the tension of the peace coming, but that is not yet here. It is through this, through the power of ritual, the lighting of the candles like in our Advent wreath, the annual Christmas store donations for the shop that happened yesterday, our seasonal services like Hanging of the Green and the children's choir concert and the orchestra concert, and all of those traditions that you enact with your friends and family that bring hope and peace and fun. The power of ritual binds people together and it marks a space or a moment as holy, as sacred, no matter how far into the grit of life the ritual takes you. Today, our congregation participates in a gritty ritual. It is a ritual that keeps us from evading the darkness, for this is one where we nestle down close to it. The ritual of the crosses on the lawn. One cross for each murder in our city this year. As is our custom in a few moments in our service, we will read the name and the age of the person who was killed before we hammer a cross into the ground in their memory. We will place 75 crosses in total across our weekend services. Do you know how our cross ritual originated? Pastor Joe Phelps, our former pastor, before he moved to Louisville, he had been working with others to organize interracial gatherings at, at murder sites. The year he arrived here to Highland, Louisville had seen an abnormal peak in the number of those killed. And so lamenting this one Wednesday night at church dinner and wondering if there was something for Highland to do in response, the idea was collectively birthed to use crosses to create a cemetery feel on the lawn. At the start of this ritual, as Joe sees it, and this sounds like him for those of you who know, the goal was to awaken ourselves to the neighbors dying from violence so that we might invite love to do its work. More than 20 years into this ritual, we are still doing our best to invite love. We are still doing our best to be woke. We are still seeking to educate ourselves about our white privilege, about the militarization of the police force, about the gun violence that is going ubiquity across our country. Still doing our best to partner with other organizations in town who can teach and inspire us as much as they can give us a chance to share our resources. We know better now how difficult this work is. We know that the systems are at odds with the reconciliation and the peace that we seek. We learned just this last Wednesday night from Dr. Lewis Brogdon about the classist and the economic implications of segregation and slavery as well as the racial ones. So again, wonder with me because I have a lot of questions. How does this cross ritual enhance our call to be agents of peace? What kind of world will Christ return to and how might we be co-creators of harmony alongside God? As we wait this Advent season with this ritual, 
What must change for us as individuals and us collectively as a congregation if peace is going to be real this year? If the darkness really promises not to overcome the light, then how does this influence our ministry tangibly and directly? And here's an example of what I mean. And you all thought I could preach a sermon without referencing Beyonce. She offers such a dramatic image in her music video for the song Formation. Near the end of it, you see a young African-American boy standing alone in the middle of the street, casually dressed in jeans and a t-shirt with his hands up. He's about eight years old. Standing directly across from him is a militarized police force lined up, expanding across the entire field of vision, kneeling down in full riot gear. They hide behind their shields with their helmets on and their weapons drawn. What does it mean for predator and prey to rest together? How might we come together in a new realm like Isaiah and John the Baptist are both prophesying, the realm that Jesus brought with him at his first coming? And so I want to caution us gently as we turn to our cross ritual and name the victims here in just a moment. Let us not mistake this ritual as an answer or a way to end our work each calendar year in December. Let us not think that because we seek to stand in solidarity with those family on the margins of society, those families who grieve this holiday season for lives lost this year, let us not think that we have fulfilled our call to be agents of reconciliation and healing simply because we hammer a cross into the front yard. For actually, this ritual of crosses on the lawn is a beginning. It is a beginning for this liturgical year, this Advent a beginning of our ministry to keep at learning more about our privilege and unearthing how we must join in the work of reparation so that love might work. How will we this year be agents of God's peace? How will our ministries go so that evil is combated and the light of hope and peace is not overcome by the darkness? Let us resist the temptation to think that our work is done because of our public witness. Our stance of solidarity today must be an act of justice tomorrow. We have so many resources, Highland, and we have so many opportunities as a congregation to point to the light that is on its way. And so as a church, as we pause in this season of darkness with crosses on our lawn and metaphorical crosses in our heart that mark our own grief and trauma, Let us together figure out how will our ministries this year remember that the darkness will not overcome the light. As our waiting continues, as our longing for peace persists, let us humble ourselves and realize that even as a small cactus can bloom with growth and delight, so too can the people of God. For a great shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, and it will blossom And it will bear fruit, and it will fill the earth, especially in the messy darkness of Advent waiting. Amen.